2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to begin with verse 16. And I want us to notice for a few moments tonight an episode in the life of the Apostle Paul. I want us to be able to look at it, and I think that it's a very helpful example of how we are to behave in this world when things are not going exactly as we would like for them to go. The Apostle Paul lived about 2,000 years ago. His life lasted approximately 30 years longer than our Lord's did. He died about 30 years after our Lord did. So he's been dead for about 2,000 years. What difference does it make what happened in the life of Paul? Well, it makes no difference at all unless we can make some kind of modern day application. It makes no difference what Paul endured or how he behaved in this life unless we can make some kind of an application to our lives today. I think the account of Paul and the life of the other apostles and those faithful men and women that we read about in the Bible was left to us for a reason. I believe it was left for us so that we could make that application so that we can be faithful followers of God according to what He says, not according to what various denominations in the world that have been created by men have said. I always like to insist that anyone listening to me never take my word for what I've said. Never take my word for it simply because I said it. Simply because on Sunday mornings I stand before a crowd of people and I begin to preach from the Bible and I call myself an evangelist. Well, I am an evangelist. But that doesn't mean that you ought to take my word for it. We ought to be like the Bereans who were more noble than those in Thessalonica for they searched the Scriptures daily. They wanted to make sure that what the Apostle Paul told them was exactly what was found in the Scripture. And that's what we need to do in this life, in this time, and in our culture. Notice 2 Timothy 4, beginning with verse 16. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto His heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Someone made the statement and wrote it one time in history saying, God is the reason why even in pain I smile, in confusion I understand, in betrayal I trust, and in fear I continue to fight. Not because of our earthly friends who maybe have forsaken us. That's what had happened to Paul. No man stood by him. All men had forsaken him. There was a man having just gotten married, was returning home with his wife, and they were crossing a great lake, and he was a warrior. And as they continued on this journey across this lake from getting married on this small boat upon which they were being carried, a great storm happened. Well, the wife became afraid. The new bride was afraid, and she was anxious. And it seemed as if the storm would overturn the boat, and they both would lose their lives, and she became almost hopeless. The great warrior, her, her brand new husband, he stood there and he looked into the, uh, the darkness and he just looked ahead. So she looked at him and she was trembling and she said, are you not afraid? And he just stood there. They kept going and, and she said, well this may be our last moment in this life. Are you not afraid? Are you, are you a statue? Are you a stone? Do you have no 
feelings whatsoever, does this not bother you? Well, the man laughed. He took out his sword and he, he laid it up next to the throat of his wife and it was very close. It was just, just barely a space in between the sword and, and her neck. And he said, are you afraid? And then she laughed. She said, I'm not afraid. If the sword is in your hand, why should I be afraid? He said, that's why I am not afraid. The storm is in the hand of God. I know that God loves me like you know that I love you. The storm is in God's hands. Whatever happens will be good. If we survive, good. If we do not survive, good. Because the storm is in God's hands and God can never do anything that is wrong. I believe the Apostle Paul is one of the greatest examples in this life among mere humans, mere men, of trusting in God. I think it could be aptly stated that Paul was his own man, so to speak. He would preach the gospel. It did not matter who was in the audience, whether it was his enemies or his loved ones. He preached the gospel of Christ because he knew that God was with him. The sword is in God's hands. That's what I've entitled this sermon tonight. Paul was going to stand in the gap, Ezekiel 22 verse 30. He was going to stand up for that which was right. It made no difference what was going on because the sword is in God's hands. And he knew that if he diligently worked for the Lord and he did not compromise the message of the gospel, that God would take care of him. Christ would never leave his side. He would always be with him. I believe it's plain to see that Paul never feared to defend the truths of the Bible. He adhered to what he told the young man, Timothy. Be instant in season, out of season, right? Doing what? Preaching the Word. Preaching the Word. One of the most prominent examples of trusting God instead of man, I think, can be seen in his conversion. He was on the way to Damascus, and that account is recorded for us in Acts chapters 9, 22, and 26. He was on the way to Damascus, and before he became a Christian, before he was converted in the city, not on the road, before he was converted in the city of Damascus, he was perhaps the greatest enemy, at least at that time in history, that the church had ever known. He wanted to destroy and kill anyone that held the name of Christ. Luke recorded this in Acts 9, first two verses. He said, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, speaking of Christianity, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. You know what Saul of Tarsus was? You know what we would call him today? A terrorist. He was a terrorist. He used terror to gain the upper hand on Christianity. He used terror to try to destroy the Lord's church. He used terror. It didn't matter if it was men or women. He would throw them in jail. He would take their lives. This is the man we're talking about. You see, we're just a few sentences away in chapter 9 from his conversion. Saul, I believe, was the main persecutor in the great oppression that hit the church at this period of time. When we read Acts chapter 8, 
And it states, And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except for the apostles. Because of the work of Saul of Tarsus, people fled from Jerusalem. He was terrorizing them. But he was going to be a changed man. He did what he did because he thought he was doing right. He did what he did because he thought he was defending the religion of God, the God of heaven. Now how was it that Paul could have ever been converted? The same way any of us are converted. Paul would later say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1.16. He was converted the same way in which we are converted. And even before his conversion, Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, trusted in God. He trusted in God. Even at that time he understood God was in control, that the sword was in his hand. Fortunately for him and for us, he saw the error of his way. He was brought into the light. A preacher by the name of Ananias converted that man and he obeyed the gospel and he was immersed in water and came up out of that water having his sins forgiven. Acts twenty-two sixteen. But he carried with him the scars of what happened in his past though. So we have to remember that. First Timothy 1, 15, he referred to himself as the chief of sinners because he persecuted the church for which Christ died. See, as young people, we need to be aware that our actions will follow us. Our actions will follow us. But what we also need to remember, I made this statement, it's one of the greatest statements I think I've ever heard. I heard a man, a preacher one time up in Pigeon Forge or Gatlinburg, I think it was, he said, do not let your past pickpocket your future. We certainly want to adhere to that. But we have to be careful because our actions follow us. Now we're not so different from Paul, are we? We have shortcomings. We endure problems in this life. That's going to be a little different from His, but nonetheless, we still endure them. When our love for God is strong, it will allow us to lean upon Him, to trust in Him, to allow the sword to be in His hand, and to take care of the situation. God will take care of whatever it is that we cannot take care of. He's not going to do for us what we can do for ourselves, but He will do His part. We know that Paul trusted God. This is going to be my first point. Because Paul relied upon God. Notice what he said. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Paul was determined to follow God. It didn't matter if anyone else followed him or not. He was going to follow God. He did not base his decisions upon what his friends wanted. He didn't base his decisions on what his peers had to say. If he had done that, he would have never obeyed the gospel. His peers were the chief priests and the rulers within the Jewish religion. Even during difficult times, Paul could be counted on to do that which is right. He understood fully how looking to men instead of God could destroy one. He knew how that would take place. He understood that. He warned his brethren against that, didn't he? Notice what he said, 1 Corinthians 1, 11 through 13. Paul said, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, 
And I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I believe this is the first recorded instance of any kind of a denomination in the world. People within the Lord's church, the church that was established in Acts chapter 2 that we read about, on the first, uh, uh, the first Pentecost following Christ's resurrection, this is the first time that we see people changing that. Now we've got people that want to follow after Cephas or Peter. We've got people that want to, to follow after Christ. People that want to follow after Apollos. Paul didn't die for us. Apollos didn't give himself for us. Peter didn't go to the cross for us. So why would we follow after a, a man when we can follow after Christ? Paul was determined to trust God. And it is especially clear, I believe, when we look at the instances in wherein he had to defend himself. Not one person stood by him. Now what we have here is a legal term. The word defense is a legal word which means an answer given to an accusation. The first defense is likely his first trial that he stood for in Rome. Now, he would have stood trial before the city prefect, an official of the emperor Nero. Now, it is possible, though, that... that Paul's second trial had already taken place and he was simply relaying the events of the first one, writing history in his letter. That could have been the case. But if that is the case, then to me it's clear why he made this statement that we read in 2 Timothy 4 verse 6. Notice what the man said. He said, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. But who was standing with him? The Lord was standing with him. And if this is the case, he understood that the appeal process had come to an end. It was the, the asking for his life or the giving of an answer to the accusations leveled against him was over. He knew the end was near, yet he still showed no fear in his con correspondence to his friend Timothy. Why was Paul able to stand up to such pressure, even with the threat of death looming? right over his head. How was he able to do that? I believe is because he longed for the eternal home. I believe that he longed to be with Christ. He wanted to be in heaven. He wanted for time to go ahead and end, I believe, and, and, and heaven be given as his reward. I think that's what he wanted. He expressed that same desire to others as well. Notice 2 Corinthians 5, 6-8. Paul said, therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We're confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the, with the Lord. What a wonderful example to us, right? He longed for the time Christ would return. He longed for the process that would put him into eternity. Now, how do we know for sure? Well, I think he's been very clear uh, in these statements, but let's notice 2 Timothy 4 again, verse 9. He makes the statement in verse 9. He says, that, and I'm paraphrasing, not only was the Lord going to give him a crown of righteousness, it wasn't just for Paul the apostle. 
It was for all others that what? Love His appearing. What does that mean? We don't normally say it like that in today's vernacular, do we? Those who look forward to Christ's return. Everyone who looks forward to Christ's return because they have obeyed the gospel system of faith, they've obeyed the gospel plan of salvation, they can look forward to His return and they will be given a crown of righteousness. The word stood is also a legal term. During the time of the Roman Empire, an accused person was allowed to have someone stand with him. He did not have to go into court alone. He could have a friend or uh, more than one to come with him. Yet, Paul had no one. During this time in the history of the world, often very wealthy men would hire a multitude of people to come in and be with them as they stood before accusations. There was a man by the name of Orgatorix the Helvetian, when he was summoned to trial by Julius Caesar, he hired 10,000 people to come stand with him at his trial. Well, the result was there was no trial because of the uh, problems that that brought to the court. There was no way to have a trial. But the connection here between the two is that Paul had no one in this life. He said, All men forsook me. All men. I think the lesson to be learned is that if Paul could trust in God and endure the punishment and the life that came with being a martyr, surely, surely we can as well. We can trust Him for our strength. The writer of Hebrews encouraged us by saying this. Hebrews 13 verse 5. He said, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. He didn't leave Paul, did he? He stood right with Paul when all other people left him. It was Christ who said this. He said, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because why? The Father is with me, John sixteen thirty two. Can there be a more comforting thought than that Christ will never leave us, He'll never forsake us, God will always be by us, Christ said He'll always be there even until the end of the age. Amen. Matthew 28, 20. Paul relied upon God, but he did so because he recognized Him as the source of His strength. That's our second point. He recognized. Notice what he said. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. One of the ways that the Roman Empire had their fun and were able to kind of relax and and have entertainment was they would take slaves, they would take prisoners, not just Christians, but but they bore during this period of time the brunt of Nero's hatred. Well, how would they often do that? They would wrap them in animal skins that had just been killed, the bloody animal skins, and they would cast them into the Colosseum before lions. Paul was delivered from that. It wasn't Paul's time. God still had things in mind for Paul to accomplish. So he delivered him from that. But Paul wasn't worried anyway. He knew God would take care of him in one way or the other. 
God was faithful to protect Paul. But now we have to understand how he protected Paul and how he protects us. He ultimately protected Paul. But wasn't Paul murdered? Paul gave up his life for the cross. But now God protected him. Christ protected him. But how did he do it? He protected the martyrs of the revelation. Those martyrs who, who asked God, those who were beneath the altar, said, when are we going to be avenged? God said, I will avenge in my time. He protected them, but yet they still lost their lives. He will protect the faithful. He protected Paul. He protected the martyrs in the Revelation. He will protect us and He will do it by giving us an eternal home that will have none of these issues that we suffer in this life. Notice what Jesus said, John 14, 1-3. He said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. For in My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Everyone listening to that statement died the death of a martyr except for the apostle of love, John. So how were they being protected? Well, John described heaven as a place where God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Revelation 21, 4. And I believe that the psalmist was right. When he penned, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 46, verse 1. Because the sword was in God's hands, He provided for Paul. He provided, he not only protected him, he provided for him. When it came time to speak on his own defense, he was courageous in that. God made him dynamic. The word that we get, uh, the word strengthened in our passage, comes from the Greek word that means dynamic. He gave him the ability to speak on his own and to defend himself. You know, it is much harder to stand by one's convictions when we are facing trouble, isn't it? When we're facing trouble and we get to what we feel like is the end of our ropes, and we're standing there, or we're hanging there, and we do not have in our minds anywhere else to turn, we tend to sometimes turn in the wrong direction. Peter learned that in a very personal way, didn't he? When Christ was being taken to the trials that were illegal, he was standing afar off. He was warming by the devil's fire. On three different occasions, he was asked if he knew that man. And three different times, he said he did not know him. He denied the Lord. Matthew 26, 34. Because he was afar off. When we look at God and follow His instruction, He'll be our strength in our times of need. Peter said this, 2 Peter 1, 3. He said according to His divine power, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. So how was it, how was it that God protected Peter? Or excuse me, Paul, how did He do that? 
Well, sometimes he protects us from death, right? He protected Paul on occasion from death. He delivered him from death. At other times, he delivered his people through death. And he did that finally for Paul. Paul longed to be in heaven. He longed to be with the Lord. He wanted to be provided for. He wanted to be protected. Paul is enjoying his reward right now. He doesn't have to worry about those trying to kill him, those trying to take his life. He doesn't have to worry about that. He recognized and he relied upon God as his strength. Why? Because the sword is in God's hands. Whatever happens in this life, to the Christian, it really doesn't matter. In the end, we win. We have salvation. We'll stand before the throne of God day and night singing psalms of praises to Him. And we'll always be in the light. We'll always be in the love. And we will not have to worry about the physical problems in this life any longer. So we may at times have to be delivered through death. We come to the end of our lives in this world. That's just the way life is, isn't it? Whether through natural causes or some kind of an accident or disease or whatever the case may be. We come to the end of our lives in this world. Paul knew that that was going to happen to him and he longed for the appearance of Christ. He longed for the presence of the Lord. He wanted to be rewarded for his great faithfulness. He understood that the sword was in God's hands. And all he could do was what he could do. That's all we can do today. But we can do things, right? We have a part in our salvation. We must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, John 8, 24. Unless you believe that I am He, you shall die in your sins. We must repent of all past sins. Luke 13, verse 4. Yea, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. We must make the good and the great confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Christ said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father which is in heaven. If you, uh, if you acknowledge me before men, He said, I'll be with you. I'll acknowledge you before my Father which is in heaven, Matthew 10, 32 and 33. And then we have to live a faithful life. After having been baptized into Christ, that's the only way we can get into Christ is through baptism, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. We contact His blood at the point of baptism, Romans 6, 3, and 4, and it is that blood that washes away our sins. That's what Christ said when He instituted the Lord's Supper, Matthew chapter 26. For this is My blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So we have to contact that blood somehow. And we do it through baptism. That's why Paul could go down into that water, Acts twenty two sixteen, and come up having his sins washed away. Not before he went in. He wasn't saved then baptized. He was saved at the point of baptism, 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21. And then, of course, like Paul, we have to live a faithful life. Those who endure to the end, the same shall be saved, Matthew 10, 22. Of course, sometimes we make mistakes. We step out of the light. We, we find ourselves on the wrong side of the right cause. We have to repent of those things. We have to ask God to forgive us, whether in a public way or a private way. Depends on what has happened, right? And then we ask God to forgive us. We confess those faults. We repent of doing those things. And He'll forgive us. And our brethren will too. 
If you stand in need to answer this Lord's invitation at this time, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.